come to this passage this morning in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, which is all about the importance of the church family. Paul, his heart and his passion was for God's church. Paul loved the church. He loved the church. He loved the community of God in all of its quirkiness, in all of its strangeness. And believe me, in the early church, there was enough quirkiness and strangeness to go around, particularly in Corinth. And so it's to that church we come this morning as we look again at this, this fantastic letter to Corinthians. So before we come to the passage, why don't we pray together and ask God to speak to us through his word and by his spirit. Well, Father, we come today needing to hear from you through your word. So Lord, we pray, speak. Speak, Lord, your servants are listening. Holy Spirit, take your written word and bring it to life in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Before we we come to the passage in 2 Corinthians 4, I I think sometimes it's helpful just to understand a little bit about Corinth, about the place to which Paul is writing and the people there. So this letter, 2 Corinthians, is written by Paul to this big church in Corinth. There's probably a lot of people who met in lots of different locations all over the city. Um, it's, a, it's a letter, we know that Paul wrote a number of letters to Corinth, we don't have all of them, we have two, um, but there was lots of correspondence going backwards and forwards and actually in that correspondence we see a, a gradual breakdown in their relationship. See, Paul was the one who started the church, he planted it under quite difficult conditions, he's the one that nurtured it, that prayed for it, that taught it and saw it develop and grow. But this same community that he'd poured his life into over a number of years, was on the verge now of seemingly rejecting him uh, and even rejecting his message about Jesus. And in the letter we see Paul bearing his soul to the Corinthians, really opening himself up, really being vulnerable, uh, and even, as as he says himself, boasting about his weakness. But even in the midst of that, it's a message full of hope and faith. Hope Uh, that what Jesus did on the cross and his resurrection gives us an incredible future. And faith that the message of Jesus still transforms lives, even when things are hard. See, the thing about Corinth um, is, and what makes this letter so significant, is that Corinth was a a new city, an up-and-coming place full of entrepreneurs and new business, and it was a port, and it was thriving in the Roman Empire. Um, It was the place that hosted the Isthmian Games, I can never pronounce that. So it was full of gladiators and athletes, and so strength and prowess and influence and money and power, that's what talked. So to be Corinthian was to be strong and to be, uh, you know, kind of the best of the best at the top of the pile. So if you were poor or weak or unimpressive or unknown or didn't have the right connections, well, you were nobody. So being a somebody in Corinth was really important. And they had come to the conclusion that Paul was not a somebody. Paul was not a Corinthian. Paul didn't come with impressive uh, kind of accolades and accomplishments Paul didn't come boasting of his accomplishments and his strengths. He boasted about his weakness. And that's in in, in face of the kind of ideal Corinthian. And I think they applied that to the church. They thought that the ideal Corinthian Christian would be the strongest, the fittest, the the hardest, the toughest, the, the cleverest, the richest. And Paul said, that's not how it works. That's not what Jesus came to teach So Paul in his letter says the most incredible things, makes himself so vulnerable to this group of people. In chapter 1 verse 8 he says this, 
We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Paul just pouring his heart out to the Corinthians. Chapter 2, verse 4, Paul says this, I wrote to you out of great distress and anguish of heart with many tears, not to grieve you, but to let you know the depth of my love for you. The Corinthians were trying to tear him down and Paul responds by pouring out his heart. When we come to chapter 4, we come to Paul referring to a temptation that he has struggled with. And it's this temptation. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Paul is tempted, has been tempted to give up. Paul has been tempted to lose heart. Losing heart is the place that we get to when we've lost the strength and the will to continue. And that comes from external pressure and internal despair. And Paul, in spite of the hardships that he's faced, have left him in utter despair that we've heard him already say, he has not given up. He's not given up. He's not thrown in the towel. Therefore, we do not lose heart. And there's always a temptation, isn't there, when life gets tough to throw our hands up and go, okay, I'm done. I'm finished. I've had enough. I can't take any more. That's just too much. That's one thing too many. That's the straw that breaks the camel's back, or whatever phrase we might use. It might be a work, we've got a boss or a team that are just dysfunctional and not working, and we've gone, I'm done, I've had enough, I don't need this anymore. It might be a relationship that at this point just requires incredible hard work and communication, but we've gone, I'm just done, I can't give any more. Maybe it's even part of our faith when we struggle to make sense of it, where we struggle to understand all of it in light of our circumstances. We go, you know, I've just had enough. I'm done. I can't do this anymore. Well, I think perseverance comes in when we say, I quit and keep going. I wonder if any of us have ever been here, been in that place of just wanting to throw the towel in. Maybe even this morning, we're here thinking, I'm done. It's time to walk away. Well, I think Paul wants to tell us why he's not thrown the towel in in the face of the Corinthian criticism and the other struggles he's had. And he gives us three reasons in this passage. The first one is in verse 7. If you've got a Bible, do turn to the passage. We're going to wander through it together this morning. And he says this, But we have this treasure in jars of clay. We have this treasure in jars of clay. I don't know if you've heard of a a chap called Sir Oliver Franks. Has anyone heard of Sir Oliver Franks? No. He was the uh, British ambassador to the United States in World War II. So that meant that his position, he was the chief communicator between uh, the President of the United States and with Winston Churchill. His job was to pass messages backwards and forwards of real importance to aid the war effort. Um, He couldn't use the phone as the phone had been compromised. So there was a diplomatic bag that would travel backwards and forwards uh, that carried messages. But that too was really vulnerable. So for the really top secret, really important, really confidential messages, this is what uh, Sir Oliver Franks would do. He would get the message, put it in an ordinary envelope, put a stamp on the envelope and send it just via the mail. The greatest secrets 
of the Second World War between the US and the UK went by just regular post. No one would think to look there. We have treasure in jars of clay. The Corinthians were so concerned with the packaging that they missed the point. It's not about the outside. It's the light of Christ, the message of the good news of the gospel on the inside that counts. The message is the treasure, and the treasure needs to shine out. In Corinth, they were famous for pottery, um, and they would make these incredible black ornate jars. Uh, They were covered in beautiful painting, and they were really proud of their artwork, as in so many things, they were the best of the best, these incredible pots. And we we know about them, they've been found by archaeologists, and parts of them have been found, and they're incredibly thick and strong, uh, made from uh, this dark clay. Um, If you put a light in that pot, there's no light shining out. The other pots that were made in Corinth, we have no examples of because they were weak and cracked and thin and didn't last very long. But if you put a light in that pot, it diffused light all throughout the room. Paul got that. He understood that. And the Corinthians hadn't. We are jars of clay. We are those thin jars, those thin pots. And when the light of Christ lives in us, it shines out. If we take our time and make ourselves look splendid like the pots, if we spend all our time working on the outside package, the light of Christ can't ever shine out. It shines through the cracks. It shines through our weakness. And Paul is reminding the Corinthians that the treasure spreads best through the weak and vulnerable, like him and you and me. And it's through our cracks that the light of Christ most brightly shines, through our vulnerability, our authenticity and our brokenness. I think that's as much a challenge for us in the Western world as it is for the Corinthians in those days. Isn't it true today that we celebrate the strong and the successful and the powerful and the influential? But actually it's always been through the weak that Christ shines the brightest. Blessed are the poor in spirit, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the meek, they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who mourn, they will be comforted. Blessed are those who are persecuted for my sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Paul says this in verse 8 to 10, that he was hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. Paul is not, woe is me, my life is hard. But he is real about the challenges of life. He's real, but he's full of hope. He's full of hope in the message and the person of Jesus. Friends, we don't need to be sorted for the light of Christ to shine to others. In fact, we need to be more real that others might see that God is at work in and through us. Our lives, Paul says, or Paul says to the Corinthians that their lives are the the messages, if you like. His letters of recommendation. It's their lives as they shine and radiate the life of Christ. And that's for us too as we allow the, the light of Christ to radiate through our life that others receive life from our death. God works most powerfully in and through us during our time of weakness. That's the first thing. God works and shines through our weakness. The second thing is God's faithfulness in the struggle. In verse 13, Paul um, quotes from Psalm 116. He says this, 
Verse 13, it is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. Well, it seems like an odd thing to quote in the middle of this kind of honest plea to, uh, to the Corinthian church. What's Paul doing? Well, Paul is quoting Psalm 116, verse 10. So let me just read this verse to you. Paul quotes from the Greek Old Testament, a translation. This is what the Hebrew Old Testament says. I trusted in the Lord when I said, I am greatly afflicted. When Paul quotes one verse from a psalm, he's not just cherry-picking his favorite bit. He's saying, this is my psalm. He's owning that psalm for himself. In this instance, in this context, he's owning that psalm. Um, Paul's reminding the Corinthians of God's continued faithfulness to him through all of his struggles. Again, I think they thought that, that God was only for the strong and the best of the best and whatever. And Paul says, no, that's not the case. Paul says, I'm, this psalm is my prayer. This psalm is how I respond under pressure. I trusted in the Lord when I said, I am greatly afflicted. I am greatly afflicted, so I trusted in the Lord. So how does Paul respond in prayer and worship when he's overwhelmed? Well, I just want to look at this psalm really quickly and give us three things that I think uh, Paul does that will really help us when we find ourselves in times of grief, of sadness, of pressure, of heartache. When we've come to the place of saying, I'm close to losing heart. First thing Paul does is he rejoices in God. This is what Paul says. God hears my cry for help. God turns to me even when death surrounds me. God protects me. God delivers me. God comforts me. God leads me. God keeps me going. For Paul, he's got a big mountain to climb. So he reminds himself of just how great God is. Friends, in the midst of difficulty, we need to remind ourselves how big and how great God really is. To quote Pete Gregg, the founder of the 24-7 prayer movement, who, who, who wrote the prayer course that we're going to do together as a church in a few weeks' time, he said this, when we face a mountain, we need a big God to climb it. When we face a mountain, we need a big God to climb it. Rejoice in God. That's why we worship, because God is great. We don't understand when things go wrong. We don't always know why things happen. We have lots of questions. And actually, the Bible doesn't often answer the why questions. I really, really wish it would sometimes. But what the Bible does constantly do, time and time again, is point us to this great God whom we serve, this great God who loves us, this great God who is for us, this great God who gave it all that we might know him as our Father in heaven. Rejoice in God. The second thing that, um, that uh, Paul does is he prays continually. He's, uh, the psalmist said this, I will call on the name of the Lord. Karl Barth, one of the greatest theologians of the last 200 years, he said this about prayer. It's okay to pray like a six-year-old or a man falling down the stairs. In fact, it's more than okay. It's possibly the most important kind of prayer there can be. I wonder how many of us breathe a sigh of relief when we hear that. I feel like most of the time my prayers are like the prayers of a six-year-old or a man falling down the stairs. Oh God, help me. Oh God, help me. We smile as we pray those prayers. But you know what? In the times of hardness, in the difficulties and the pain, if that's all we've got, that's the greatest kind of prayer we can pray. 
Because prayer, isn't it, so much more than just an articulate kind of wordy way of talking to God. Because it involves our emotions, it involves our bodies, it involves our cries, our silence, our more, everything we have can be prayer. Prayer is really simply about putting ourselves before God and seeing what happens. Jesus prayed with tears. He prayed as he celebrated and he prayed with sweat like blood. The saints of the Bible, the heroes of the faith, pray with gut-wrenching honesty and rawness. And it seems as though when we read the Bible, God loves all of it. He loves all of it. Book of Psalms. It, it, it portrays every human emotion from the greatest of celebrations to the deepest of pits. God loves all of it. God just loves it when we pray. And friends, we're to pray. However we can, however we can, we're to pray. Just to bring ourselves before God and see what happens. We may be in a place today where we're able to pray those great articulate prayers. And they're wonderful and they're written down throughout the centuries and I value them greatly. But maybe we're today in a place of just praying like a six-year-old or a man falling down the stairs. Oh God, help me. Oh God, help us. Oh God, be with us. Paul just made sure he was praying. He owned this psalm. This was his. And finally, Paul uh, and the psalmist says, um, I'll give thanks in all circumstances. Paul, in the midst of difficulty, says one of the most important things we can do is to give thanks. Friends, I want to ask us today, what are we thankful for? What are we giving thanks for? Who are we grateful for? It may be one thing today, but there's something about thankfulness. There's something about thanksgiving. I don't know what it is, but it changes us. It changes our attitude. It changes our hearts from the inside out. And it's almost as if when things are toughest, when life is hardest, that's when we need to be thankful, all the more thankful for what God has given us. Because it reminds us, thankfulness, that everything we have is a gift. Thankfulness releases life into our hearts, which releases life to others. It's just amazing reading 2 Corinthians. If you read through the whole letter, time and time again, Paul thanks them. These are people who want to reject him and maybe even reject the gospel, maybe even shipwreck an entire city's church. And Paul thanks them for their prayers. Paul thanks them for their generosity. Paul thanks them for who they are, for their support, for their faith. Through this letter, in the midst of terrible hardship, Paul goes to those who are persecuting him and says, do you know, I'm grateful to God for you. Friends, what are we thankful for today? give thanks it brings perspective it enables us to keep going and to finish we come to verse 16 and Paul reminding us therefore we do not lose heart though outwardly we are wasting away yet inwardly and we are being renewed day by day for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all so we fix our eyes not on what is seen but on what is unseen since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. I'm not an expert on trains um, for many reasons, but I do know this. When you have a steam engine, and it's, uh, to get the steam engine going, it needs a lot of coal, a lot of fire to get the momentum going. And, but after it's kind of running, it doesn't need quite as much coal throwing on the fire because it's got the momentum. But sometimes in the journey of a train, it will hit just a, an incline. Not always, they try and keep them flat, but sometimes it does. And then you have to fire up the engine even more to keep that train going up the hill. 
In this letter, time and time again, we see Paul about to hit a hill, about to hit a challenge. And it's almost as if something within him fires up. And I think these verses are an example of that. So what is it that Paul, that fires Paul up to get him up the hill, to get him over the difficulty that he faces? Well, Paul just points back time and time again to the death and resurrection of Jesus. That for him is fire in his heart, what God has done. That Jesus died for him, for us, for this world. That he was willing to lay down his life as a sacrifice for many. That by his death on the cross, we can be forgiven, set free, transformed, made new. That was at the heart of his gospel and his message. And not only that, but that Jesus rose from the dead. That incredible act in history where God intervened, where God saved him and raised him from the dead, defeating death and its power, that Paul is able to say to the Corinthians in his first letter, where, O death, is your sting? Why? Because of the resurrection. And what does the resurrection point to? It points to this incredible future hope. It points to that not only God has done something, is doing something for the future, but that future is breaking into our lives today. Outwardly, we are wasting away. Inwardly, we are being renewed. And Paul is on fire. He's saying, I don't care what you do to me outwardly, because I know that God has a greater purpose, that God is doing something uh, more incredible, more, more beautiful, more awesome than we can possibly imagine. And that gives him the inner strength, because he knows his future. He knows the end of the story. And friends, if we're to have the fire in our hearts that will get us up the hill, that will get us over the challenge that we face, we need to keep the hope that we have in Christ front and center. We need to remind ourselves again that we are not just saved to play harps on a cloud, but are saved to see the kingdom of God come in power in this place. We're saved for something so incredible. No eye has seen, Paul says. No ear has heard. No heart can comprehend what God has prepared for those who love him. And that fires us up. So to finish, see you, Don't be ashamed of your weakness because God shines through the cracks and the brokenness in our lives. Keep reminding yourself of God's faithfulness. Rejoice in the Lord always. Give thanks in all situations. Pray continually. And cling on to the future hope that Jesus won for you and me on the cross and that he confirmed in the resurrection. Therefore, we do not lose heart.